Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Reply Brief. In this week's episode, I'm still working on episode four of the Prosecutor's Podcast series on the Anand Syed case. Since I only got through half of their episode last week, I guess this episode is episode number 4.5. I'm going to be try to be quicker this week and not get sucked too far down the rabbit holes, but I doubt that's going to happen. And that's the problem with what Brett and Alice have done here. The theme of their entire series is to hit on the elements of the case that support their Adnan as guilty theory. They never mention any of the evidence that disproves that theory, and they breeze by any conflicts. Which leaves me in a position where it's necessary to expose the entire record and share all of the facts surrounding a particular issue in order to set the record straight, so to speak. I hope that whether you're in the innocent camp or the guilty camp, you can see that that's what I was doing last week. No spin. No selecting only the convenient elements of the evidence. When it comes to the Nisha call, the only way to fully understand it is to hear all of the evidence. And to the credit of the guilty camp, no one has pushed back on my analysis so far. As you heard, you really can't. There's not an argument that can be made that that call was Adnan and Jay together. It's just not possible. Now the response has been the classic pivot. Oh yeah, well forget about the Nisha call, what about Jen? That type of thing. But no one being intellectually honest can any longer argue that the Nisha call is evidence of Adnan's guilt. You just can't. And in regards to the what about Jen or Jay knew where the car was or Jen had her mother and lawyer responses, you're going to see when we get to that point that I'm not going to argue much about it. The reason being that if we know by actually looking at all the evidence that Adnan was at the school when Hay was killed, then none of that matters. You can argue till you're blue in the face that Jay wouldn't have involved himself in this if Adnan wasn't really guilty. Or the police wouldn't create such a huge conspiracy just to frame Adnan. Or Jen wouldn't implicate herself with her lawyer presence, so on and so forth. But the thing is that none of those positions are provable. All we have is both sides saying what another person would or wouldn't do in a particular situation. That's not evidence. People do all sorts of crazy, unexplainable things. So what we do is we look at the evidence. Does Adnan have an alibi? And the answer is yes. And that is why Jay tells eight different versions of a story and every single one of them is directly disproven with the cell phone evidence. All of them. Someone asked on my Facebook today if I thought Jay and Jen had spent months crafting their stories. 
They were obviously being sarcastic, as though it was ridiculous for me to believe that they're not telling the truth. And that question is so laughable that it's actually not even funny. Did they spend months crafting their stories? No, obviously not, because their stories don't match up, but they directly contradict each other. Had they spent months rehearsing, or if they were recalling actual events that they actually lived through and actually happened, then we wouldn't have Jen saying that she picked Jay up at a mall, and he was with Adnan, and she talked to Adnan, and Jay saying that she picked him up at his house, or at a different mall, or his whole list of other versions, all of which are clear to point out that Adnan was not there when Jen picked them up. And that's where that basic story bullshit comes from. Well, they both said that Jen picked Jay up, so that's the basic story. Give me a break. Those two can't even agree on where the pickup was or who was there. So here's the thing. I told you in episode one that the methodology used by Brett and Alice was the classic gaslighting technique. They take what you believe, frame it in the most extreme version of that as possible, and then point out that it's not only wrong, but they chuckle and laugh while they do it and say it's crazy or ridiculous or ludicrous to believe that. Here's a big overarching example of that. Anyone who believes that Adnan is innocent by default then believes that Jay made all this up and that he was fed those details by Ritz and McGillivray to try to make a story that's believable. One thing that Brett and Alice and their followers like to say is, ha ha ha, yeah right, if the cops wanted to use a witness to frame Adnan, they would have done a better job. They would have picked a better witness. They would have made sure he got it right. Jay's a terrible witness. Now there's some logic for you. I believe Adnan is guilty because of Jay's testimony. Also me, Jay is such a terrible and unbelievable and non-credible witness that it's crazy to think that he would be the witness the cop used to frame Adnan. Huh? And while you're wrapping your brain around that, let me explain the biggest flaw in that logic. Two points. One, this assumes that there's a story that could properly frame Adnan and make him look guilty that isn't conflicted by the evidence. And the truth is, there isn't one. Jay's story sucks because there's not a version of a story that works. You'll see that as we continue with all this. It's impossible to come up with a story that fits the evidence and puts Adnan anywhere but at the school at the time Hay was killed. So anyone, any witness's story is going to be bananas because it can't be done. And secondly, they didn't need a better witness or a better story. It worked. Adnan was convicted on this story. It was effective. It wasn't until 15 years later when people outside of the system took the time to actually try to line all this shit up, and we realized the impossibility of it all. The reality is that the big conspiracy could be as simple as this. Police get Adnan cell records which lead him to Jay because Jay was one of the first people he called the night before, and he called Jay the morning of the murder. Per Jay's own words, the cops were harassing him and questioning him about this case over and over again well before they ever talked to Jen. More on that later. They accuse Jay of murdering Hay. Jay tries to save his own skin and points the finger at Adnan. They don't believe him and continue to put pressure on him. His stories make no sense and they're not buying it. But at the same time, they have no actual evidence to arrest Jay. And remember, Ritz and McGillivray have a documented history of doing exactly this. When they have no evidence, they get their claws into a black person with a drug connection and threaten them into creating a made-up story about somebody else so that they can close their case with, air quotes, evidence. 
the witness statement. That's not a theory. That's proven fact. That's precisely what they got caught doing in other cases. So they want to believe Jay because they want to close the case, but he's such a mess that they just can't. So Jay offers up, no, it's true. My friend Jen knows all about it. She picked me up that night. Now, Jay just has to get Jen to back up his story, but the cops get to her first. And we're going to get into all this later with supporting documentation, but for now, I'll tell you that the cops went to Jen and she said she didn't know anything. Then she says she talked to Jay that night and the next day she went in and suddenly now she has a story. The truth is that Jen may have actually believed Jay. It doesn't have to be a great conspiracy. He could have told her that Adnan did it and told the whole story that we heard, and he got her to add in a few details about picking him up and get her to say that they had talked about it before that day. But she agrees to do it to save her friend, who's been threatened with the death penalty, by the way. So she just tells the cops what Jay told her, or at least tries to, probably believing that Adnan did kill Hay and that Jay helped because that's what Jay told her. She doesn't really have to be much involved in this conspiracy other than trying to add in some personal details of things she witnessed, which are directly conflicted by Jay and the evidence. So then Brits and McGillivary, I think, probably believe that to be at least a possibility at that point. I'm getting way ahead of myself, but I think they probably found the car that day or likely the day before. That was the trigger to really put the pressure on Jay, who then involved Jen. They sat on the car because that was their litmus test, which is a common and smart practice by police. If this guy's telling the truth, he'll be able to tell us where the car is. I think things probably broke bad when in Jay's pre-interview, they asked him where the car was and he didn't know. That's why there are no notes about where the car was in the pre-interview. And they never ask him while the tape is rolling where it is. I think up until that point, when Jay didn't know where the car was while he was confessing to all this, is probably the first time Ritz and McGillivary actually realized Jay doesn't know anything. But they're Ritz and McGillivary, so they didn't care. Jay's story's a mess because he doesn't know that Ritz and McGillivary are going to play ball at this point and help him with the car. He's been confronted with the cell records and he's trying to tell a story that he thinks lines up with them, but again, that's impossible. So finally, the detectives say that he's going to show them where the car is and they shut off the tape. But it is documented that Jay took him to the wrong place because he didn't know where it was. And that's when Ritz and McGillivary decide they have enough and they do what they've done in the past. They take Jay to the car, not the other way around. It's not a drawn-out, month-long conspiracy involving hundreds of cops all along the eastern seaboard. They thought it was Jay. Jay told him it was Adnan. His story was obviously bogus, so Jay tells Jen that Adnan killed Hay, and if she doesn't back him up, he's going to be executed. They found the car on the 26th and held it for a day to try to get Jay to confirm he actually knew where it was. And when he didn't, that's when they decided to go with him as their witness anyway, just like they've done in their other cases. Now, just to be clear, everything I just said there is just theory, just my speculation. None of what I said is proven fact. But what is proven fact is that that is all the more in-depth a, quote, conspiracy has to be. It's that simple. The cops actually believed Jay when he said Adnan did it, and Jen actually believed Jay when he told her Adnan did it, and Jay was doing that because he was afraid of going to prison for something he didn't do because he was a black guy in Baltimore 
who had had plenty of enough interactions with police to know that was a distinct possibility. And here I am, after saying I'm going to keep this short, and I'm already 10 minutes in and I haven't even got back to their timeline yet. So let's get into it. First things first, I said a few times last week that the state only had three options for the come and get me call. 236, 315, and 345. I don't know what I was thinking, but there is no 345 call. A couple listeners pointed that out to me. They only had two options, actually. Two incoming calls. 236, which is impossible, and 315, which you'll see here in a minute, is also impossible. Last week, I showed you how you can't have the 315 call be the come and get me call and also have the 332 Nisha call be Adnan and Jay together. So there's already a massive red flag in Jay's statements. He describes this call, but we now know that it's 100% impossible for Adnan to have been with him when the call was made. Let's move on with our timeline. The Nisha call was important for the state because, as Brett said, it's the only call on the log that could possibly put Adnan anywhere but the school at 3.30 p.m. And again, to quote Brett, when Adnan would have had to have been with Jay, in order for him to have killed Hay. But we proved last week that Adnan absolutely wasn't with Jay at that time. But it was a big problem for the state because absent the butt dial, the records sure look an awful lot like Jay was just cruising around using Adnan's phone. The Nisha call was sandwiched between two outgoing calls that were made to people Adnan didn't know. The 321 call to Jen's landline, and the next call on the log, the 348 call, to Jay's friend, Phil. So if we determine that the Nisha call was just an unanswered butt dial, then what you're left with is a call to Jay's friend at 321 and another call to another one of Jay's friends at 348. Almost like he's not driving around with Adnan, but like Jay is driving around by himself. As the trend continues, at 3.59 p.m., the phone calls a guy named Patrick. Jay says that Patrick is essentially a drug dealer. He's the guy Jay buys pot from. Interestingly, in Jay's first interview, there's not mention of the Nisha call or the Phil call or the Patrick call. He doesn't say anything about calling any of his friends. He says that after he and Adnan ditched Hay's car, they went back in the woods at Patapsco State Park and smoked weed for like an hour watching the sunset. By his second interview, after it's acknowledged by everyone that he's been shown the cell records, he says that he called Patrick but the machine picked up and he left a message. Something interesting that Susan Simpson caught was that in that interview, Jay says that the call to Patrick's answering machine was about a four-minute call. It was actually 25 seconds. But the call on the call log occurred at 3.59. So take it or leave it, but Susan makes a good point. If he's creating the story from the phone records that he's looking at in front of him, you can kind of see how that mistake happened. He sees 3.59, and he says the call lasted about four minutes. In any case, right here is where I have to call out the prosecutor's podcast for just straight up lying to their audience. And I'm sorry, but this is absolutely despicable. And this is how they convinced people that their narrative about Adnan being guilty is correct. Listen to what Alice says about track practice. The theory they are pushing is that after Jay calls Patrick for the weed, he then dropped Adnan off to track practice for an alibi. This is what she said on their episode. Around 4 p.m., Jay says that he dropped Adnan back off at Woodlawn High School because that's when track practice begins. No one can say whether Adnan was there, though he 
probably was for all the reasons Brett said earlier, regardless of whether he had anything to do with Hay's murder. Around 4 p.m., Jay says that he dropped Adnan back off because that's when track practice begins. That is a straight-up lie. That is not what Jay said at all. Jay said that the come-get-me call happened after 3.40, then the trunk pop, then ditched the car, the Nisha call is in there, then they drove all the way down to Patapsco, where they spent about a half hour or an hour smoking weed, and the sun was setting, and then he drove Adnan back to track practice to be seen. Jay has never said he dropped him off at 4 p.m., and he never said he needed to get him there when practice began. Never. Not even close. And this is the kind of thing that just infuriates me. This is intentional, and it makes me wonder what Brett and Alice's motives are. Why are they trying so hard to convince people that Adnan is guilty? So hard that they're willing to publicly stake their reputations on provable lies like this. Now, I'm going to read to you what Coach Sai said in his police interview during the initial investigation, and he has never contradicted this. There is a very good reason why Alice is hedging here. Even though they never once in their entire series shared this part of Coach Sai's statement, they had to have known that someone would eventually point it out, hence the lie about Jay saying he dropped Adnan off at 4 o'clock. I'm going to read you everything regarding Adnan being at track practice today from Coach Sai's statement report. He's not sure if he has the right day, But it's since been proven that he does have the right day, and even Brett and Alice admit that. There was only one single day when the track team practiced outside during Ramadan, and it was January 13th. Here's the notes from the report. Adnan Polite, always asked about my son. Wouldn't let Adnan practice during Ramadan because he wasn't eating. I didn't let him practice. Would send him on a jog but he would not participate in practice. Didn't take written attendance. Everyone meets on track. Miss Graham lets them go from study hall, they change, come to track. Study hall, 2.15 to 3.15. We have practice every day unless no one can be there. Practice has run to 6 or 6.30. The norm is 5.30. Make a mental note if someone leaves early. After county championship, didn't address it. I never talked to him after that. Never knew Haley, very nice young lady. She was actively involved in athletics. Last conversation I remember was about Ramadan. I'm not certain if it was the 13th. Someone else came here, investigator, white male. He said that Adnan said that conversation was the 13th. I told him I can't remember. They asked me, did I recall having a conversation about Ramadan? Told him it was a semi-warm day. From what I remember, he was there on time and left on time. First time he had ever spoken to me at length. I initiated conversation. Open. We normally didn't have long conversations. End quote. So all you ever hear from Brett and Alice about this report is that Adnan wasn't a star on the track team, which comes from this document. The full report's on our website, and that Adnan was there and that he had an in-depth conversation about Ramadan. The parts that I find sickening are that, one, they never once mentioned the most important parts of this statement. Study hall ends at 3.15. The students changed and came to practice. 
It wasn't in this segment, but I read to you earlier that he said that he gets there around 3.30. And the big one, quote, from what I remember, he was there on time and left on time, end quote. Now, someone please try to convince me that what they did was an honest, give you all the facts presentation when they never once mentioned in their 14 episodes that Coach Sai said Adnan was on time to practice. And furthermore, they say in this episode, and also at least two other episodes, that this was a brilliant plan by Adnan to start this long conversation about Ramadan to ensure Coach Sai would remember he was there to create an alibi. But what did Coach actually say? Very clearly. Quote, first time he had ever spoken to me at length. I initiated conversation. End quote. Adnan didn't start this conversation to create an alibi. Coach Sai initiated the conversation and was asking him about Ramadan. That is the full truth about track practice. You can argue about whether practice started at 3.30 or 4 p.m. In trial, Coach says it started at approximately 4 o'clock. But in both statements, he says it started after study hall let out at 3.15, and he said he gets there around 3.30. But what you can't argue is that Adnan was there any later than 4 p.m., dressed and ready. And that's why the state didn't use the 315 call as the come-get-me call. There is no way for him to have called Jay at 315. Jay drive to Best Buy, trunk pop, story, closed trunk, instruct to follow, then drive across town, ditch the car, move stuff from one car to the other, then go smoke weed, at some point change clothes into his track gear, and be at track ready to go on time by 4 o'clock. How do I know Adnan is innocent? And why don't Jay and Jen's stories bother me? Because he was in the guidance counselor's office with Debbie when Hay was getting snacks from Inez Butler. Hay left alone, and Adnan was at track practice on time. You cannot be in two places at the same time. Is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. 
I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Brett spends a lot of time trying to convince the listeners that the fact that Adnan was at track practice is actually a bad thing for Adnan. He actually says that the more you prove that Adnan was at track practice and had this conversation with Coach Sai, the more guilty he looks. And that logic sort of makes sense based on the limited information that they shared. All they told their audience is that Coach Sai remembers having the most in-depth conversation he's ever had with Adnan at track practice that day. Brett says that's because Adnan isn't a star on the team. He could have came late and no one would have noticed. And of course Adnan would start this long conversation to make sure Coach Sai remembered him being there. So by the time they wrap up the track practice conversation, you're left thinking what they're saying makes sense. Adnan must have showed up late, started this conversation to make an alibi. They intentionally didn't tell you that Coach Sai specifically said that Adnan was on time. And this wasn't the first time they've spoken. Alice makes a point that Coach doesn't know Adnan, so wouldn't be able to know if he was acting strange. But in fact, as I read to you before the break, Coach Sai said Adnan talked to him all the time. He said he was very polite and always asked him about his son. So the record actually shows that Adnan was at track practice. He was there on time. He left on time. He speaks to Coach Sai regularly. And the fact that they had this very long, in-depth conversation had nothing to do with Adnan creating an alibi. That conversation happened because Coach Sai initiated it and was asking Adnan about Ramadan. When you only hear the limited information that they shared with you, it's easy to see how people can be convinced that Adnan going to track makes him look guilty. But if you're honest enough to share the entire record, it's painfully obvious to see that track practice wasn't Adnan trying to create an alibi. It is an alibi. Even if you disregard every single witness who saw Adnan and Hay at the school that day, after school, assume every single one of them got the day wrong or they're lying, there still isn't a timeline here that works. If Adnan called Jay at 3.15 to come get him, it's impossible for him to have been changed into his track clothes and at practice on time sometime between 3.30 and 4 o'clock. That's how I know Adnan's innocent, because he has a rock-solid alibi, and not a single person can create a timeline from the evidence that puts Adnan at track practice on time after killing Hay. It's just not possible. So now I'm going to try to be as quick as I can through the rest of the timeline, because in all seriousness, it doesn't matter. If Adnan never left the school between 2.15 and 4 o'clock, then we know for a fact that the rest of Jay and Jen's ever-changing and ever-contradicting and impossible to fit with the actual call logs, stories, are irrelevant. It's nothing more than Jay trying to come up with a story that he thinks can loosely fit the cell records, even though it really doesn't. In fact, he never tells a single version of a story that is even close to being possible. But, you know, there's a basic story there. So at 4.12 p.m., the phone calls Jen's landline again. The tower location at this point has moved over to the east side of the map, and the phone is connected to the, quote, Leakin Park Tower, but not the sector that covers the burial site in Edmondson Avenue. 
It's the northeast-facing sector that covers Jay's grandmother's house, along with lots of other stuff. So at this point, everyone agrees that Adnan is at track practice. Even Brett and Alice, everyone agrees, well, except Jay. So in both of Jay's first and second interviews, he says that at 4.30, after ditching Hayes' car, he and Adnan go to Patapsco State Park and smoke weed and watch the sunset, which occurred at 5.08 or 5.05, depending on the source. More of Jay's basic story that we're supposed to accept. Brett and Alice both say, yep, Adnan was at track practice, which seems to have ended between 5 and 5.30, even though Coach says that it ends at 5.30, 6 or 6.30. And they also said that they trust Jay's basic story, where he says that through the entirety of track practice, he and Adnan were in Patapsco State Park smoking weed and watching the sunset. Now, in Jay's third interview, he actually completely changes the narrative to Adnan actually killed Hay at Patapsco State Park, and Jay himself was there with him because Adnan had paid him to help with the murder. He must be lying to limit his involvement, right? By now saying that he participated in the murder? Brett and Alice, of course, don't mention this version because it's physically impossible. The phone was nowhere near the park on the south side of town at 236, 315, 321, 332, 348. You get the idea. It's impossible, but you know, basic story and all. The next call is at 427. It's an incoming call, so we can't really rely on it for location, but this tower and sector cover Jay's house and the Westview Mall. Brett mentions that the tower also covers Jen's house, and it does, but not this sector. Jen's house is northeast of this tower, and the sector pinged is the west-facing sector. This call's an interesting one, and I'd recommend you all go read Susan Simpson's blog about it. This is the call where it seems to be obvious that the police are coaching Jay. Between Jay's first and second interviews, Ritz and McGillivary mislabeled their cell tower map. There are two 824 Dorchester roads in this small area, which is the address of the tower. But one of the addresses is a Baltimore address, and one is a Cantonsville address. When Ritz and McGillivary incorrectly placed the tower location at the Baltimore address, Jay's story changed from him going home at this point and a trip to Christie's apartment was added to the narrative during this call. But not only do we know that Christie wasn't home at this time, even without the college schedule stuff that we'll talk about later, but the actual tower location was in Cantonsville, which is the tower that covers Jay's house. But again, it was an incoming call, and, well, the entire story is nonsense anyway, so who really cares at this point? And I really do mean nonsense. Jay described like two hours' worth of locations that he and Adnan are driving to, while everyone agrees, including Brett and Alice, that Adnan's at track practice in over a 30-minute period. Case in point, he says that at 4.30 they go to Patapsco, but also says that the 4.27 call came after he dropped Adnan at track practice. Basic story. The next call is an incoming call at 4.58. Now, Brett says most people agree that this is Adnan calling Jay to pick him up from track practice, but I do not agree with that at all. In fact, I don't think Adnan ever called him to pick him up at track practice. There's no phone on the track, and Jay had Adnan's cell phone. And Coach said practice usually runs till 5.30. I don't see how anyone can make the argument that practice didn't start until 4 p.m., and at 4.58, it's already over. If you've ever played a sport in high school, you know that a 58-minute practice is ridiculous, and it would have to be shorter than that for Adnan to get somewhere with a phone to call Jay when it was over. I think the record and the call log is pretty clear. There was never a call to pick Adnan up at practice. 
Jay was just supposed to pick him up after practice at 5.30. In any case, this is an incoming call at 4.58. At 5.14, we have another incoming call with no location data. It appears this call just went to voicemail. And then at 5.38, it appears that Adnan is now with Jay and he has his phone back. Because at 5.38, which lines up with Jay picking Adnan up at 5.30, which is also when Coach said that track practice ends, the phone calls Krista, Adnan's good friend, not Jay's. So I will agree that by 5.38 p.m., Jay has picked up Adnan and they are now together. It is, of course, possible that the call to Krista was another butt dial, as she likely would have been stored on Adnan's speed dial. But Coach said track was usually over at 5.30, so there's no reason to think that it wasn't just Adnan calling Krista. That being said, if you're still interested in Jay's story, in his first interview, he says that he picks Adnan up from track practice, and they go to McDonald's at around 7 p.m. And in his second interview, he says that Adnan called him to pick him up from track at 5.45 p.m. Both times, of course, are after the call to Krista, and one really throws a kink into the whole 7 p.m. burial time. The problem with Jay's stories are that the things that should be anchors if this story was true are completely disproven with the call log. Like watching the sunset at the cliffs before taking Adnan to track practice. There is no possible explanation for lying about that. It doesn't lessen Jay's involvement. It doesn't protect his grandma. It doesn't protect Christie, as Brett and Alice claim. They couldn't have been at Christie's house at that time because the sun set at 5.05 and Christie didn't get home till after 5. She actually was in class that evening too, but that's not even worth the trouble of arguing about right now. But you can't be at Patapsco at 5 o'clock, then drive 20 minutes to drop Adnan off at track, and then pick him up at 5.30. It doesn't work. So he says the pickup was at 5.45, which still doesn't work. Or 7 o'clock, which also doesn't work because track never goes that late. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. There is no basic story. It is literally impossible to create a working timeline from any of Jay's stories, even if you pick and choose from all of the eight versions and just use the best pieces of them. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family vdw group no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The next call is an incoming call at 6.07 p.m. We know from the police reports and trial testimony that Hay's brother called Adnan that night looking for Hay. He actually thought he was calling Don because the number was written on the page full of Don's and Hay's diary. So most likely this was Young calling Adnan. This call... Now, it's an incoming call, so we really can't rely on it for location, but it connects to a sector that does cover Christie's apartment. 
which is why Jay's story morphs into this call occurring at Christie's house. It doesn't really matter, but for what it's worth, we know that it's all but impossible for any of these stories that we heard about Christie's house to be true. She was in a college class that only met three times per semester, and there was class that night, and she got an A in the class, and she herself acknowledges that she wouldn't have missed that class, and if she did, she certainly wouldn't have gotten an A. I'm not saying she doesn't remember a night when the guys were over there and super high and they got some phone calls. It just wasn't this particular night. The next incoming call is two minutes later at 6.09. So both Young and Aisha both say they called Adnan that night. So likely these were those two calls. The order they came in, who knows, but it's a pretty logical leap to assume that the 6.07 and 6.09 calls were from Aisha and Young. And next, we have another incoming call at 6.24 p.m. This call lasts over four minutes, and I think everyone agrees that this was probably Officer Adcock calling Adnan from the Lee residence. Now, Brett and Alice make a pretty big deal about the fact that, according to Adcock's notes, Adnan told him that he had asked Hay for a ride, but he got held up and she wasn't able to give him the ride. But in a later interview, he says that he never asked for a ride. All of the lies in this case This one they find important. There's no basic story excuse for Adnan. That's only for Jay and Jen. This is what I find silly about the argument. So they go on and on about how Adnan was so smart to make all these plans to create an alibi, like talking to Coach Sai and getting the guidance counselor note and calling Nisha. But then they find it to be a red flag that a couple hours later, he says that he asked for a ride and Hay left without him. Which, by the way, Becky confirms. She saw the conversation where Adnan asked Hay about the ride after school, and she said she didn't have time and she had to go. And then Adnan and Hay walked away in different directions. Anyway, it's a red flag that in a later interview, Adnan says he doesn't recall asking for a ride. Well, first of all, if he was so smart and had created all these alibis, I would have expected him to say that he didn't ask her for a ride that day. If he was guilty, then he knew he killed her during that ride. Why the hell would he offer up the fact that he had asked her for a ride? The reason is that he's not guilty. He does have a rock-solid alibi, and he has no idea that this is a big deal at all. An innocent Adnan only knows that Hay didn't pick up her cousin. All of her friends figured she was just off with Don somewhere. No one was actually worried at this point, and neither was Adnan. No one really got worried until Hay didn't show up to Krista's birthday party on Friday. So yeah. He just told Adcock what he knew. It makes a lot more sense for him to lie the second time. Now Hay's been gone for a while. It's a big deal, and he's being questioned as a suspect in front of his father who had forbid him from dating Hay. And he lied. Some say he forgot. Who knows? I think he probably just lied. You can do with that what you will, but I'm not overly concerned with an innocent person lying when they feel they're being targeted in a crime. Now, if Adnan had lied to Adcock that night, When no one knew anything bad had happened, that would concern me. But on that night, from 6.24 to 6.29 p.m., Adnan was talking to Adcock, and he said that he had asked for a ride, but he didn't get it, which is confirmed by literally every single witness that was interviewed at the school. But here's where things get worse for Jay and his basic story. So we know this call ended at 6.29 p.m., Jay says that he and Adnan are at Christie's house during this call on the south side of town, at least in a second interview. The first time, he said that he and Adnan were at McDonald's eating when this call occurred. 
So I'm going to jump ahead for just a sec and then back into this mess. Jay tells police that a 7.09 p.m. incoming call, the one that pinged the tower that covers Leakin Park, was Jen calling while they were in the middle of digging Hay's grave. So before I share with you how Jay said all this went down, let's just do some quick math. At 6.29 p.m., Jay and Adnan are supposed to be on the south side of town at Christie's apartment. They're in Adnan's car. They have no shovels, no picks, nothing. Hay's body is 15 to 20 minutes away in the trunk of her car in the park and ride. If they drive straight to the park and ride, they get there around 6.50. Then drive to Leakin Park, which is about a four-minute drive, so they're there roughly at 6.55. This is assuming that they drove straight to the spot where they were going to bury the body. Didn't have to drive around looking for it. Then they have to drag Hay's body 120 feet into the woods and then start digging, and then the 709 call happens. As unlikely as it may seem that they would be so efficient, in this scenario, it is possible for them to have started digging just before the 709 call comes in. Except, oh yeah, they have nothing to dig with. So now let's back up and look at how Jay's basic story and the cell records completely disprove, well, everything. So Jay says that after the call from Adcock, he and Adnan leave Kathy's apartment and go to Jay's house to pick up shovels and picks. So they roll out of Christie's at 6.30 and head northwest to Jay's house. That's about a 15-minute drive. Jay's house is on the west side of town, and the park and ride where Hay's body and car are located in Jay's world are on the east side of town. So they go to Jay's, they get shovels. So they get there around 6.45. Say five minutes to get the shovels and picks. So at 6.50, they leave Jay's house. They then have to drive all the way over to the other side of town to get Hay's car and body another 15 minutes. So now it's 7.05. Then Jay says that they didn't know where to bury the body, so Adnan told him to just follow him for a while while he looked for a spot. Jay says that he followed Adnan for a long time. He says about 45 minutes. So now it's 7.50. You see the problem with Jay's basic story, right? How could they be in the middle of digging Hay's grave at 7.09 if they were still driving around looking for a spot at 7.50? Or let's be gracious and say 45 minutes was actually only 15 minutes. That's still 7.20. Jay doesn't even say they're at the burial site at this point. In fact, he says they're a long ways off from yet to being at the burial site. And then we have, at 6.59 p.m., the phone calls Adnan's friend Yasser, who Jay doesn't know at all. That's an outgoing call that hits the sector that covers Woodlawn. But then, just one minute later, the phone calls Jen's pager number. This is where Jay says he called Jen's pager and left a voice message telling her to pick him up before they found a spot and buried the body. Remember when you heard the audio of Jay's interview on Undisclosed and the detectives are yelling at Jay that, You have two cars! They're getting frustrated because Jay is describing the conversation that he and Adnan were having at a time when Jay was supposed to be following him in a separate car. You know, basic story type stuff. Well, that's the problem here. Jay says that they had already picked up Hay's car and he's following Adnan during this period. But one minute apart, you have a call to someone only Adnan knows and a call to someone only Jay knows. Do we believe in butt dials now? Unless there was a butt dial, which is always possible. It appears that Jay and Adnan are together at this point. In fact, in Jay's version of the story, they both make those calls. So at 7 p.m., somewhere in the vicinity of Woodlawn, and they haven't even picked up Hay's car and body yet. 
They're definitely not in Lincoln Park at this point. So somehow, well, first we have to completely disregard literally everything Jay said about going to pick up the shovels, then the car, then driving around for 45 minutes. But if you disregard all of that, you know, basic story and all, you now have to figure out how they drove from Woodlawn to the park and ride. Adnan gets in Hayes' car and Jay moves to the driver's seat of Adnan's car. They drive straight to Leakin Park, get the body out of the trunk, drag Hay 120 feet into the woods, and start digging all in nine minutes. The drive alone is longer than nine minutes. If you don't cop out and just ignore the actual case details, it's so easy to see it's almost stupid. Adnan and Jay could not have been burying Hay's body in Leakin Park during this call, or the next one at 716. And here are some actual facts that might make some of this make sense. First of all, Leakin Park is hardly a park, at least in the area where Hayes' body was found. I would never in a million years have thought it was a park when I went to the burial site. It's literally just a road through a wooded area. That's it. It's why so many people from just down the road didn't know where Leakin Park was. Because it doesn't at all feel like a park. It's just a road. So that's thing one. Thing two is that everyone keeps referring to the Leakin Park Tower and saying that we know the phone was at Leakin Park at this time. No, we don't. I've mentioned this before, but it bears repeating. The tower is located on the outskirts of the park, but it covers well beyond the park. AT&T is not going to put up a tower in a crowded urban area like this just to cover a road through the woods. The sector that these incoming calls appear to have connected to covers the Edmondson Avenue Strip and the route to Patrick's house, the guy Jay buys weed from. And we see this same sector being hit a few weeks later, on another occasion, where Patrick is called from the phone. The one basic story that does stay consistent throughout both Adnan and Jay's statements is that they were smoking weed that night. The fact is that things did not and could not have happened that night the way Jay said they did in any version of his stories. And the fact is that those two calls on the log could not have occurred during the burial, even if Adnan and Jay did bury the body. You just can't redefine the laws of physics and time and call it a basic story. The so-called Leakin Park pings, no matter who you believed killed Hay, were absolutely not calls that came in during the burial. The actual facts and evidence prove that. In order to try to explain some of the stuff away, Alice says that because this is a densely populated area with a lot of cell phone towers, we can better trust the locations we get from the pings. And she is exactly wrong about that. And I don't even understand where she's coming up with that logic. In this densely populated area, you have lots of towers all overlapping each other. That makes it harder to determine location, not easier. And just about every place in this map, a phone could connect to any one of three or four towers. And when you have a sector that covers a 120-degree arc and has a range of 2 to 3 miles, that doesn't give you an exact location. It only tells you that the caller is somewhere in that area. And since it's a densely populated area, that narrows things down to hundreds of houses and businesses. It's much easier to determine location in a rural setting that is spread out because one of those big arcs of a sector might only cover one single road that drives off into the country, and you can say they were likely on that road. When it covers a whole grid like this, who knows? Now, moving on, and I'm about to wrap this up, the next call comes in at 8.04 p.m. It's an outgoing call to Jen's pager. 
At this point, the phone is still over on the east side of town. A minute later, there's another call to Jen's pager. This call is connected to the same tower, but has switched from the east-facing sector to the west-facing sector. So it appears that the phone is moving back towards the side of town that contains Adnan's house and mosque, Jay's house, and Jen's house. To kind of put a button on this whole basic story, this right here is one of the instances where it certainly appears that Jay and Jen are trying to remember details of a story rather than recalling actual events that they experienced. I'll get further into the timing issues here in a second, but I want to point out this massive inconsistency in Jay and Jen's stories. So when Jen talked to the police, she told them that Jay had paged her and told her to pick him up at the Westview Mall. She said she showed up there before him and then saw Jay and Adnan pull up in Adnan's car. She makes some comments about Adnan's behavior, which we'll get into in another episode. But then Jay gets into her car and Adnan drives away. This is when she said Jay told her that Adnan had killed Hay and they needed to go wipe prints off of the shovels. Now, it's been pointed out many times that Jay's version of this story is very different. But what I'm not sure has been pointed out is how easy it is to see how and why Jay and Jen can't even agree on where this pickup happened, much less whether Adnan was there or not. In Jay's version of the story, he paged Jen from the Westview Mall, but told her to pick him up at his house. He says he paged Jen from the mall, and then Adnan dropped him off at his house, and that's where Jen picked him up after Adnan had left. First of all, there is no basic story fudging that can account for this massive discrepancy. They are describing completely different events in completely different places involving completely different people. But in a world where you might be someone who believes that Jay just told this story to Jen for her to then tell the police, then you see this is kind of an easy mistake to make. When Jay tells Jen that she needs to say that she picked him up that night, he includes the Westview Mall. Then, when they go to the police, separately, they fuck it up. Jen thinks she's supposed to say that they met at the mall, and Jay thinks he's supposed to say that he sent the text from the mall and then went to his house to be picked up. Now, that's all conjecture, but to me, that makes a lot more sense that they both forgot everything about the circumstances surrounding where the pickup happened right after Jay just buried a body. This isn't a basic story. They are completely different statements that directly conflict with each other. And now circling back to the timing, we've already ruled out the 709 and 716 calls as calls that occurred during the burial. It's not possible. There's no way to leave Christie's at 630, go get shovels and picks, drive up near Woodlawn, still in the same car, make two phone calls, then to the park and ride to pick up the body in the car, then to the burial site, drag the body 120 feet into the woods, and start digging by 709. And let's not forget the 45-minute drive around to find a suitable place to bury Hay's body. If any of Jay's story is true at all, the earliest they could have made it to the burial site would have been closer to 8 o'clock, which is a pretty damn big problem because by 8.05, the phone is making outgoing calls showing it has left the area where Hay's body was buried and the car was dumped. Even if you disregard everything Jay says and just try to make up a narrative out of whole cloth, the timing still doesn't work. At 7 p.m., we have the phone up on the northwest side of town making calls to one of Adnan's friends and then one of Jay's friends. Now you have a grand total of 64 minutes to drive to the park and ride, get Hay's car, drive to the burial site, drag the body through the woods, pick a spot to bury her, dig a grave in the cold ground, bury Hay, 
Go back to the car. Drive to the car dump location. Leave the car. Then head west and be out of the area all in 64 minutes. And that's just based on a completely made-up narrative that doesn't involve anything Jay said at all. If you want to use Jay's statements as actual evidence that any of that happened, it's not even close to feasible. And this is what I mean when I say this case isn't complicated. You can literally just use the phone records and Google Maps to figure out there was no time for Adnan to have done any of this. It's not possible. And that's just the drive times and the call logs. Throw in Jay, and now you have eight hours worth of movements in a two-hour period. Then throw in Jen, and she completely contradicts everything Jay says on top of that. And I'm going to stop here. The next call is at 9.01 when Adnan is hitting the tower covering his house and mosque, and he's calling Nisha, then Krista, then Nisha again. And that's the end of January 13th. Brett and Alice get into the stories about Jay and Jen then going back to Christie's house, but none of that is relevant to me knowing everything that we know at this point. So I'm going to leave you with this. If you believe Adnan is guilty, and you believe there is a basic story that supports that, please share that story with me. Tell me how and when he even could have done this with the actual evidence. And this is my vow to you. If someone can put together a timeline that is actually possible and isn't conflicted by the evidence, I will share that timeline on this series. So that's your homework. Stop saying Adnan is guilty and pretending it's a ridiculous position to believe that he's innocent. Show me how. Show me. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production. All music for the show is created and composed by Shane Yoder at PutThemInASong.com. The font you see on all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com design, created, manages, and maintains our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our volunteer transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Courtney Wimberly, Erica Cantor, Melissa Cardenas, Kaywood Yomnick, and Danielle Rohr. And as always, thank you to all of you for your engagement and your support. If you like the show and you want to support us, you can do that in a number of ways. The number one way for you to support our work is to become a patron at patreon.com slash truthandjustice. If you join our Patreon, not only will you be financially supporting our work, but you'll also get something for your pledge. For just $5 per month, you'll get all episodes ad-free and also a video version of the Friday follow-ups that include an hour-long pre-show chat exclusive to our patrons. Other levels will get you a Truth and Justice Army t-shirt, Truth and Justice hats, and even the opportunity to co-host a Friday follow-up episode. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice to sign up. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. It doesn't cost you a penny, and it goes a long way towards making the show more visible. If you have a case that you'd like us to consider covering, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page, follow us on Instagram, or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. 
for all of you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod, and I can be found on social media at BobRuffTruth. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice.